from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Pierce sat in the bar of the Semarinus Hotel, thinking he had never been so bored in his life. He watched the bartender, a big Nubian with a wide face and a red fez, mix drinks for the only other people in the bar, a Midwestern American couple who looked tired. It was 10am. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Hugh. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host Hunter. Say hello. Sup, sup guys. I said say hello. Sup y'all. Hello. Sup y'all. Hello. Do you know I'm appealing to the red states? Hello. Hello. Thank you. And uh, we are on the second chapter of Michael Crichton's third published effort, Easy Go, another of the novels he published under the pseudonym John Lang. John McLean. John McLean. Uh, and, uh, Mother Harvard. We are reading a book called Easy Go, also known as The Last Tomb. And we are in Egypt. And joining us today, as with uh, the last chapter, as with the next 33 chapters, mm. we have a signature drink and a signature snack. For my part, I have a cup of uh, orange pico tea. It is hot like Egypt. It is orange in colour like Egypt, when the sun is setting. And I also have uh, three triangular pieces of toast erected into the shape of a pyramid. I mean, they were erected in the shape of a pyramid. There's only like two and a bit left uh, after the last recording. If, you, if you're going to continue with the snack, which I think is bullshit, just to be clear. What's your fucking sun snack? <laughs> <laughs> I think that you have to eat them in such a way where they always resemble a pyramid. Yeah, well, it does. It does. Like I've, I've had, I've, I kept, I made four bits of bread. I mean, two bits of bread that I cut diagonally. So it made four triangles. I ate two of those triangles on the recording of the last podcast, which we just did. And I have two triangles left and a piece of the third. And I've kind of used that piece of the third as a sort of lame third uh, wall of the pyramid. It's like it's been busted open by explorers, so it's kind of even more fitting. Mm. I think I'm a genius. What have you got? Well, I got a vodka sunrise and a delicious bag of sun chips. Wow. How'd you think of those? Mmm. Delicious, a little sweet, a little salty, very crunchy. Very tasty, very eatable. I said, how'd you think of those? Not what do you think of those? A little sweet, a little salty, very crunchy, very tasty. Fair enough. 
Um, also, because they have son, they, they both got sun in the title. And you know what has sun in the sky? Egypt. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Especially in September. Yeah. September's always hot. Before we get to the book, I had a, a recent encounter, not an encounter, but I had something that I, th- I thought I should share with the uh, our, our listening audience and, and with you. AIDS? Eh? <laughs> you want me to tell my story or you just want to be an asshole? Yes, please. All right, so uh, my, my girlfriend and I and our roommate have taken to watch the very fascinating and entertaining program, The Bachelorette, recently. I'm down with that. And there is a contestant on the show who is vying for the heart of the lovely, uh, now I'm forgetting her name. (laughs) Uh, I don't remember. Let's say Charlotte. I don't think it's Charlotte. Oh, I can't remember this. This is so embarrassing. Who cares? Who cares? Uh, I can look it up. Wait, wait. Can I guess where you're going with this? Claire. Claire Crowley. Can I guess where you're going with this before you proceed? Sure. Is the contestant the late Michael Crichton? Uh, it very well be, may well be. <laughs> wow. Because this guy looks like Michael Crichton. <laughs> went to Harvard. <gasps> it also seems like he might be a serial killer, so. <laughs> and when was this filmed? Was, was this filmed after Crichton's death? This was filmed this year, so yes. <laughs> But I guess neither of us have seen his body, so we're not certain he's actually dead. No. He, did, he had a very similar face structure to Mr. Crichton. Hmm. And I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, I thought it was funny that he also seems to be a douchebag from, uh, who went to Harvard. All right, uh, can I find a clip of him somewhere? Um, no. I mean, maybe. What's his name? Do you have Bennett. his name? What? Bennett. 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 I'm just, I'm just going to type Bennett Bachelorette. Ooh, there's a lot already. Um, all right, there's a clip called Claire Feels Insulted by the Guys. Okay, we're not going to do this. We've got to get off the show. You mentioned it. Now I'm curious. i got to find it. What does he look like? Does he have glasses? Just look up photos of him. He definitely looks like a more attractive Michael Crichton. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm watching him now. He was the first person there with glasses. Doesn't he he have kind of Crichton vibes? (laughs) I mean, he looks like a male model. (laughs) Mm. Just like Michael Crichton. (laughs) He looks like a creep. (laughs) (laughs) Just like Michael Crichton. He acts like a creep. Yeah, there's a there's an episode where uh, Margaret Cho of all people was on the show and basically said that he used to serial killer. So yeah. Anyway, let's let's get on with it, shall we? Even just the way he like stares at her is is really unsettling. But anyway, yeah, back yeah. to the show. Uh, so um, it's time for chapter two of Easy Go. Easy come, easy go. Hieroglyphics in a room. Red diagonal. So chapter two, character number two. Hmm. Pierce. Robert Pierce. Who is mm. this Robert Pierce? And what is he doing in Egypt? Who is this Robert Pierce indeed? Is 
Um, Nubian a racist thing? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, don't, I gotta assume, kind of assume so. All I think about when I hear Nubian is this, is the Star Wars prequels. Isn't that the name of like one of the cruisers? Like a Nubian uh, cruiser? I'm pretty sure that's a Star maybe. Wars thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. The Royal Cruiser. That's the one that uh, Queen on Amidala has. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely pretty cool. There you go. So I'm just going to assume he looks like Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> is that racist? Of course not. <laughs> okay, let's see. Nubian appears to be an ethno-linguistic group of people who are indigenous to North Sudan and Southern Egypt. Is that helpful? So not necessarily racist. No. Uh, and I must say that this uh, character seems way less like an ethnic caricature than the other non-white character that I've been introduced to so That's far. true. But he also has fewer lines, so. He has a slight British accent, so he's one of the good ones. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's like uh, Sawa. <laughs> <laughs> I have to imagine uh, Spielberg read this book religiously before. Of course. Of course, Lucas read this before um, making the Star Wars prequels, which is where he got the idea to call that spaceship a Nubian. Exactly. Spacer. Yeah, it all comes from here. Okay, so what is Pyrrhus doing in Egypt? What is he doing in this bar? Why is he drinking? What is he drinking? Who is he? Well, uh, I'll answer one of those questions. He's drinking a gin and tonic. And uh, yes, I did consider pairing our experience with this book with a gin and tonic. But uh, once again, I opted uh, to go the uh, non-alcoholic route. Because there's, there's actually two drinks mentioned in this chapter. We, we, we could have gone one each. You could have had a gin and tonic, I could have had a whiskey or vice versa. Could have had both. Could have had both mixed together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's drinking a gin and tonic. He's here on business, apparently. Mm. Uh, we do learn what his business is. I don't know if you want to skip there already. Whatever. He's a writer. We learned this, we learned this immediately, pretty much, right? Not immediately, but pretty early. No, no, it's literally the... Fifth paragraph where they tell you what he's doing there. No, he just says he's there on business. He doesn't say he's a writer yet. No, he says, Pierre Sonnet, he had been there for four days, and each day had been over 100 degrees. Fortunately, the Italian engineer had been right on schedule, and Pierre had done most of his interviewing in the air-conditioned hotel room. So, so suck my dick. But that doesn't mean he's a writer. But you could, you could still say what he's there for. You could extrapolate that pretty easily. But we don't 100% know his occupation. Hmm. I mean, I guess not. Let's agree on this pointless point. No. I refuse to agree with you. All right. Let's continue arguing then. Yeah. All right. So he is in Egypt to interview an Italian engineer who has been contracted to lift some architectural monument to yep. some other site. Yep. Some sort of statue, isn't it? Uh, yes, I think. Doesn't matter. Ah. Mm, delicious. Okay, so let's see here. He's about to, we, uh, it's also established that uh, he's about to fly back to, back to? Was he there before? But he's going to Athens. So I'll say that again. Does he go back or is, is it just going to Athens? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'll say it again. Uh, it's also established that um, this is his last night in Egypt and he's intending to fly to Athens the next day. Hmm. That's true. So he's sitting there, he's talking to the uh, bartender. There's an American couple there who are like, oh, Nasser sucks. Alan Dulles, the evil head of the CIA, was right, basically. 
<laughs> really? Is that what that was about? <laughs> uh, I think so. I mean, there might be another Dulles, but uh, Alan Dulles was one of the heads, uh, head of the CIA. I believe he was even the first head of the CIA. Mm, intriguing. Uh, I don't know how well he would have been known that. And also, uh, his brother, according to Wikipedia, was also Secretary of State. Uh, right. Okay. Under Eisenhower. So maybe it was a reference to, to that. Um, but, you know, presumably a very evil man. And, and uh, Nasser seems like kind of a cool dude. I don't know. I haven't really delved into his politics that much, but... Uh, you know, Eva. <laughs> definitely cooler than uh, Alan Dulles. Uh, then what happens? So then who should saddle up to the bar and order a couple drinks? But our good bud, Mr. Uh, what was his first name? Alan? Not Alan. Harold? Harold. Harold, Harold Barnaby. Is it, is it Harold? Okay. Yeah, it is Harold. It is yeah. Harold. Harold Barnaby. Mm-hmm. He seems to be uh, a little drunk already, correct? Yeah. Or at least in a rather uh, subprime state. Mm. Maybe drunk off the thrill of discovery. Perhaps. Or uh, anxious about his plan. Mm. Which he has yet to formulate at all, as far as we can tell. We do get more of a physical description of uh, what he looks like in this chapter. Mm. Um, from uh, from Pierce's observations. Is it, so, it's going to be uh, a return to, for crying out loud, that segment we haven't included in several episodes? <laughs> yeah, we, we should do it. Just for the theme song. Yeah, go for it. It's riding men proud. Come on, let's hear it. Right about now. For crying out loud. Physically, he was nondescript. Medium height, ordinary looking. Except that he was very nervous. That's it. That's the segment. <laughs> Imagine a mannequin. Yeah, so he's not very handsome. Not very good with the ladies, as we've established. Well, he could be. He's just a little nervous. Yeah. And he drinks whiskey on the rocks. But we like a, do like a learn loser. something. To, yeah, we do want something about him, though. Mm-hmm. Which is that he fought in the Korean War. Yes, they both did. Mm. And uh, Barnaby recognizes Barnaby recognizes mm. Pierce. Pierce doesn't recognize Barnaby. The reason for this is that Pierce, uh, at the moment of their meeting, Pierce is getting airlifted out of Korea with a wound. Yes. Presumably, he accidentally inhaled some of the uh, biological weapons that the U.S. government was seeding the North Korean countryside with at the time. Some Agent Orange Pico, just as I'm inhaling right now. I don't think Agent Orange was deployed in the Korean War. That's a historical. Nah, probably not. <laughs> He's just a motherfucker. Oh no, I was used in Korea. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, there you go. I've heard that. Uh, I've I've heard pray tell that uh, lots of different chemical and biological warfare were employed by the Americans against the the Koreans. Um, looks like it sounds like the site of a lot of really heinous war crimes that were you know never reported upon. And basically, the Korean War is uh, forgotten now. So, anyway, so they were doing war crimes together, and they uh, struck up an acquaintance of sorts. And um, basically, uh, we learned that Pierce is a writer, and uh, Barnaby uh, attempts to um, use their connection to uh, influence what we could assume is his own plan by asking him if he knows anyone terribly rich. Yeah. 
Uh, and then that's about the extent of it. Uh, Barnaby keeps on ordering pure strength until he has about four gin and tonics lined up in front of him. I'm using Whittle Image. Mm -hmm. um, Barnaby's pretty well soused on his whiskeys at this point. But uh, Pierce is like, oh, I'm flying out tomorrow. And Barnaby's like, okay. And that's basically, uh, basically it. Barnaby, like, stumbles off eventually. Yep, that's it. So we know. So we have two principal players uh, after these first two chapters. We have Harold Barnaby, the uh, mm. um, would-be treasure finder, mm. who's an Egyptologist, and uh, who has ambitions beyond merely being a tenured professor, thanks to this discovery. Mm. And we have Pierce, a writer, who is apparently going to leave Egypt entirely in a day. Yes, but before we do that, we have a little button on this chapter that we have to go over. We do? Yeah, because Pierce goes back to his room. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I made the same mistake when I was reading this. There's like a, a paragraph gap, and I forgot that it keeps going. Yeah, yeah. You dumb motherfucker. Pierce goes back to his room. He's, he's packed everything. We, we forgot to mention that Pierce, one of the only things we learned about him is that he absolutely hates packing. Uh, which is strange considering his uh, occupation presumably makes him pack a lot. Yeah, well, in fact, he's been traveling for the last 12 years because he doesn't like being idle. He doesn't like being idle, but he also doesn't like to pack. Brother, you need to... Uh... Brother, you need to, um, you know, spare a dime. Maybe, maybe, maybe think about, uh, yeah, yeah. Brother, could he spare two dimes? That's a Herod, uh, sort of, so. Um, what are we talking about? <laughs> Easy guy. Maybe, maybe you should, uh, try and consider, uh, switching his career up a little bit, you know? Yeah. Fucking loser. He could still yeah, have dumb, an occupation that keeps him busy, but rooted in the one location so he doesn't have to pack. Hmm. Fucking simp. Stupid simp. Uh. Um, nice. <laughs> uh, what were you, what, 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 what? Okay, so he's sitting there in bed. He's like thinking about his life or whatever. And then suddenly the phone rings. And that is the end of the chapter. And we, we shall see you on the other end of the line next week. Another exciting episode of For Christ's Sake. Surely it's not Barnaby saying, hey, would you like to be part of my scheme? Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. It's, no, no, no. It's, it's like the call. And have you ever seen Happiness? Yes. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character? Mm -hmm. That's what I imagine this. This is how uh, Barnaby <laughs> uh, exercises his, his inability to have sex with women. <laughs> All right, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>